God speaks to us in his word in Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And when they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, honestly, sincerely, I can't say it enough. Thank you for being here today. Uh, we have a few days out of the year, holidays, travel days, um, where, where it'll, be, it'll be pretty thin. And so um, as far as the crowd, so I really do. Uh, attending Sunday is a very important uh, part of, of your discipleship, man, and, and following Jesus. We have to be people that sit under the authority of the word. Um, we have to be people that don't forsake gathering together. That's a biblical command. So um, now, don't, no shame for the times that you have to miss and the people that are missing today, but just wanna point out, like I'm, I'm really proud of you guys for being here. And um, it's a travel day, it's a Thanksgiving holiday, and my goodness, boy, can I not wait for some Thanksgiving food. I, who, I've heard from several people already that they hate turkey. I, there's people on this, I'm almost ashamed to say it. There are people on leader, in leadership in this church that don't like turkey. So I'm just trying to think about like, how do we discipline those people? I mean, what is it that we, I love turkey, man, the pecan pie, the, I'm in on all of it. I'm in on all of it, dude. So anyway, I'm, I'm stoked about Thanksgiving. I hope you are too. Thank you for being here. All right, so a little bit of family business before we jump into today's sermon. Um, uh, Advent is coming. Now, we're gonna talk a little bit about Advent. This is actually the last Sunday before Advent starts. Advent is the four weeks um, of Christmas leading up to Christmas, okay? And it culminates in Christmas. Christmas is uh, the celebration of the reality of God. I mean that, it's the reality of God. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, we thought that God was distant. We thought that God only spoke through prophets in the Old Testament, but then what happened was is God himself came to earth and became flesh. It's called the incarnation, which literally means to become flesh. God himself became flesh, Jesus eternally begotten, eternally, I mean, never was created, and he himself 
uh, became a human being. That's the incarnation. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's the celebration of Jesus' birth. That changed everything. It's reality now that God is with us. Changes everything. So Advent is really the weeks leading up to and then a celebration of Christmas. It's one of those moments where people that are far from God or don't know Jesus, they're just more open because it's kind of built into the fabric of our culture that you go to church on Christmas and Easter. And so you might have friends and family, I hope you do, that don't know Jesus today. Um, I wanna invite you to invite them to come to uh, services here on Advent and in particular, our Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve service at four and six on Christmas Eve. You guessed it. Um, we're gonna present the gospel. We're gonna sing together. We're gonna, uh, we're gonna pray together and we're gonna celebrate the birth of Jesus. So four and six right here, start right now. As a matter of fact, everybody take out your phone. Go on ahead. Don't act like you don't know. All of a sudden it's like, preacher, I don't have a phone. You be on Facebook before we know it. Take out your phone. If you have a notes app or something like that you take notes with, I had to do this Saturday. I made a grocery list. Type this, type Christmas Eve, Frontline Shawnee, four and six. Um, and then just type, people need Jesus. Or something like that. Type, people need Jesus, maybe. And then what I want you to do is like over the next, over the next week, two, three weeks, just be thinking about people that don't know Jesus that he has intentionally put in your life so that you can invite them to the Christmas Eve service so they can hear the gospel. And man, we're gonna pray that people be saved on Christmas Eve. So just start making notes of all the people you need to be praying for to invite them to church so that they can hear the gospel, all right? All right, all right, Mark 11, let's jump into it. Please open your Bibles there. We'll have the words on the screen as well. Mark is... Relentless, this book, he's relentless, man, so fast-paced, moving right along. Jesus has been healing people, casting out demons, raised a little girl from the dead, he calmed the storm, he's got power over, he's shown power over the nature, over sickness, over the demonic, and over death. And word's starting to spread now about Jesus. I mean, it has started to spread. Let me rephrase that. Word has spread rapidly. Everyone in the area knows about Jesus. And everyone in the area is pretty stoked because they had heard growing up or they had heard from people who heard growing up that there was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets like their sort of forefathers of the faith, their great, 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 great grandfathers of the faith that there would be a Messiah who comes to deliver his people, which is Israel, and that he would sit on the throne of David, meaning he would be in lineage of David. They'd heard about that. They grew up reading stories about it. And what's happened now is there has been 400 years of silence between God's last prophet and now John the Baptist, who was the prophet before Jesus that prepared the way of the Lord. 
So they'd heard of stories. They heard what he might be like. And they probably seen a thousand imposters. And now the word's starting to spread that there's a man that claims to be God and he has the track record to prove it. He's cast out demons. Even the demons obey him. He speaks with power and authority. Even the winds obey him. Word's starting to spread, man. Can you imagine the feel of the place? We're approaching Passover. Now in the story of the gospel, we're approaching that moment where uh, the people of God, all together, it's like lawful for them to get together and celebrate the uh, angel of death passing over their house and sparing their, their lives, their born, firstborn lives. It's the Passover meal is, is also the meal where they celebrate, uh, they were in the hands of the Egyptians in captivity and slavery and they were delivered. So we're approaching Passover meal. The Messiah, there's talk about a Messiah, this man who's done all these things. And it's like, could this be the one? Could this be the one that's prophesied about? I mean, maybe he is. I think maybe he is because he's healed people. I mean, look at all this stuff. There's a story that we heard about him like standing up and telling the storm to stop and the storm stopped. Or you're, maybe you're like, imagine this, the word spreading. It's like, okay, yeah. And also my cousin was at the hillside and they only had five loaves. They only had a small amount of fish. And every, somehow he kept multiplying the food. I knew somebody was there. You, you, you know how word spreads? Word's starting to spread now. It's, people are stoked. Is this the one who's coming to restore our nation to prominence and authority and finally overthrow the Roman government? Is, could it be him? It's like, well... I think so. I think he's the one that's finally gonna restore authority and greatness and power to our nation again. He's gonna give us comfort and ease and power. There's this theme, really two themes in Mark. And it's no different today. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem He's on his way to die a uh, humiliating, shameful death. But nobody knows that and the disciples just can't comprehend it. And the town that he's in, he's walking into and they're shouting, Hosanna, save us. And they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, um, who comes to establish the kingdom of David. So in their mind, they've got their king, man. Imagine the fanfare. This is the one. He's gonna draw a sword. The Roman government's gonna bow down. It's gonna be epic battle. He's gonna win, and we're gonna be saved. Finally, he's coming to save us. But Jesus keeps telling the disciples, the son of man must go and die. But then he'll rise again but he must go and die. Remember the first time he said it, Peter rebuked him because Peter said, no way, what are you talking about? You, you're, the, you're supposed to overthrow the Roman government. And multiple other disciples, they just could not understand. Jesus kept saying, the son of man 
must suffer and be put to death by the hands of the Romans. Now just think for a minute. He's the one. He, there's no doubt in my mind, this, you think he is the one who's gonna overthrow the Romans and all he keeps saying is, no, I must be put to death by them. What? On a cross? A torture device of just like open shame and humiliation? Are you kidding me? Nobody knows it just yet. Nobody quite gets it. It's the theme of Mark. Is Jesus the king? Everybody would say yes. He's the king, there's no doubt. But is he the type of king that you expect? And the answer is no, and it's true for us too today, honestly. He is the king, but he's not like what you think. He doesn't just come to make your life easy or comfortable or put you in a place of power and authority and reputation. He said, I come to serve, not be served. It's a totally upside down way. He tells them things like, the first will be last and the last will be first. It's really backwards. If you wanna enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a little child. He says things like that. So there's just a couple things today that I think we need to see. And it's as easy as this, man, just two things. The first is he is the king that we've waited for. But the second is, he is not like what we expected. So let's jump into this story a little more together. 11.1. When they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, it's a little donkey, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, well, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. It's a pretty good trick, by the way. I mean, just imagine if you're a thief in the area and you just wanted to steal something. It's like all I needed to do was tell them that it was for the Lord and they just said, fine. And they went away and found a colt tied outside, uh, at a door outside the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let him go. Jesus is the king that we've waited for. He is. Now these people, God's people, had waited for years and years. Again, they had heard the story of the coming Messiah, but they hadn't really heard anything since then. And it had been 400 years of silence between the last Old Testament prophet and John the Baptist who was prophesying that Jesus was God that he was coming, 400 years. That's a lot of years. Can you imagine, can you imagine this? I'm gonna give you, if I promise, I'm gonna give you the thing that your, is your heart's desire in life. I'm gonna give it to you, but you have to wait 400 days How would you feel? How would that year go? That'd be the slowest year of your entire life. And then you'd have 35 more days to go. You would freak out. We have no concept of waiting. 
We have no concept of patience. We cannot imagine waiting four years for something. We can't imagine it. Waiting is one of the themes in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, patience. Love, joy, peace, patience. Waiting is a theme in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah prophesied, uh, the Lord told them, you're going to have a son. They had to wait um, decades for their son, the father of our faith. Uh, look at Moses. Moses was called by God to be the mediator, to deliver um, God's people out of the hands of the Egyptians. They were slaves there for 400 years. Moses' story is he's banned to the wilderness for 40 years until God meets him in a burning bush. I mean, imagine 40 years of looking over your shoulder to see if somebody's coming to collect. Waiting, patience. David, David was anointed king when he was little, when he was just a boy. And then he had to wait and wait. Slay Goliath, anointed king, still had to wait. Actually had to run for his life before he became king. And then again, the 400 years of silence before John the Baptist and Jesus. We just don't know how to wait. I'm telling you that guys, this stuff, and I can feel it because it does to you what it does to me. It's like, it's so out of left field to imagine waiting 400 years for anything. That's generation upon generation upon generation upon generation that comes and goes and dies before God ever speaks to them. Think about what would happen in your life and your heart. No Holy Spirit, no speaking, no none of that. Generations come and go and you just have a distant memory now about, wait, what is our culture? What is our religion? It's been 300 whatever years and nothing. What are we supposed to believe? And here comes Jesus. He is the one that we've waited for, but we have no idea how to wait. I love the season of Advent. Advent is about waiting, but it's waiting with anticipation. It's that Advent literally is us identifying in the church calendar with the people of God who waited 400 years in silence before Jesus came. And then at the end of it, here comes Jesus, not with fanfare. Now think about that. The Messiah finally has come, but not with fanfare. How did he come? He's born as a human baby in this sheep's bed. As a matter of fact, they had to run away so he could be born in safety. It's very consumeristic for us to view patience the way that we do. We live in a microwave society. I want it right now. I want the temperature that I want. <laughs> if that hot pocket isn't ready in 25 seconds, some of y'all said amen. Microwave, dude. We want it right now, right away. It's impossible to think of waiting on anything, partly because um, happiness is attached to immediacy. We immediately want something. We right away want it, man. We don't 
care what it takes, I will for sure, if I can just get the thing that I want right now, it leads to all kind of impulsive behaviors. We can't pay attention for any amount of time anymore because we just, we want. I'm preaching to myself. It's the impulse of satisfying something that will actually never satisfies. We don't have, we've lost like the patience it takes to actually get something that's gonna last a long time. This is why marriages fall apart so easily. This is why we, ha- we struggle when God is silent. We start to kind of hate him. We struggle with suffering. This is why we make really bad choices and regretful choices. And part of it is just sin, man. We just are sinful people and it's okay. There's grace for you, I promise you. But it's also a tale just on our society. I, uh, it's like every time we go to a buffet, which I, you know, I'm like, why did I put seven meats on my plate at the buffet? I didn't need all seven. I didn't need to like, I didn't need every meat represented at the buffet to be represented at my plate. You know, I, I had this thing where it's like, I don't go to buffets much anymore, but um, when I was a kid, I showed, by kid I mean like, you know, 10 years ago or something. Uh, have this thing, it's like, dude, my one goal at this buffet is just to not have to return to it. I literally wanna take the buffet to my table and so just get one of every, you know, plates like this or whatever. And it's like, man, in an instant, that really satisfies your need and then you leave there going, what have I become? What kind of person am I that did that in there? And then you just sulk forever until the next day rolls around. You're like, well, I did it then, I might as well do it again. It's impulse, it's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't pay dividends, it's so ridiculous. When you get outside of it, it's like, why do I do those things? They help me, they don't help me at all. They actually really hurt me. Well, it's just the human condition, man. We just don't like waiting. We want what we want, we wanna be satisfied right now, right away. And Jesus is the only one who can see past his nose. Jesus offers us something more than just an impulsive thing. He offers us eternal life, eternal joy, It replaces, happiness is a myth. It's not a real feeling. Everybody's striving for it. And that's why we try to go to things impulsively all the time. Because happiness is a feeling, but it comes and goes. It doesn't last. It's not even real. God offers joy to us. It's a whole different ballgame. Imagine, if you're the people of God, you'd waited For 400 years, waiting is a good thing for us. What it actually does is it produces something that lasts a long time. Well, Jesus is the king that we have been waiting for. But he's not here to just give you a microwave meal. He's not here to give you a buffet. He's here to produce in you something that will last eternally. Real life, not impulsive happiness. Actual eternal joy. With Jesus, the wait is over. He's the king that we've needed. But Jesus isn't the king that we expected. Not the king that we expected. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, 
Blessed is, the, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. What a scene. Amazing. The fanfare, the pageantry, the people that now it seems like people are starting to see who Jesus is. Um, but they're actually not at all. We've got to dig into this to just see exactly what's going on here. Jesus came to fulfill all the Old Testament prophets and all the law, and he's doing that in several ways here. So first thing's this. Why a cult? Why did he get on this baby donkey? It's not exactly a king's triumphal entry. It's not exactly what you would expect a king to do. You would expect a king to ride in on a horse, sword drawn, thousands of people behind him in pomp and circumstance, um, but a donkey, weird. The branches weren't unusual. Branches would be waved for kings at times. The fanfare wasn't unusual. That would be done for kings at times, but the donkey is unusual. So remember, Jesus came to fulfill all the law and prophets. Look at Zechariah 9, 9. It says this. This is the Old Testament. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In David's day, the king that was hundreds of years before this moment, the king of the people of God, the one they looked at as the pinnacle of uh, kingdom and kingship in their nation. In David's day, a donkey was seen as a royal animal. It would have been fit for a king to ride a donkey under David's reign. But after David, however, Hebrew kings switched to horses and donkeys were declared unfit for a king. So what's happening here? What is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is both fulfilling the law and prophets and identifying as the king from the line of David while simultaneously telling us that he's not like other kings. He's not what we expected. He is a king who embodies both majesty and meekness. And it's important because this king is on his way to die. Came to serve and not be served. Hosanna, they said. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Jesus on a donkey. Coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save us. Save us. Psalm 118 is where it originated. Save us, we pray. Oh Lord, oh Lord, we pray. Give us success. These people are excited. They're expecting of their king, but they're also a desperate people. It is a telling thing for them to say, save us. And they really are desperate, but what they think that God is gonna give them is not what they actually need. Desperation is key. It's the top of the priority list. It is the prerequisite for coming to Jesus. There is nothing else. The only prerequisite to coming to Jesus is desperation. Desperation. These people are desperate. But just like you and just like me, we come to Jesus in our desperation and what we ask of him is something that we typically don't need. We ask him to make our lives the way that we want. Give us what we want. Deliver us from suffering or please deliver over to us 
the thing that we most desire, God becomes a rabbit's foot for us. And when it's hard, we go to the rabbit's foot and hopefully he'll give us what we want. Desperation is important. God is answering our prayer for sure, but it's not what you think. And it's the same with the people of Bethpage. Their desperation is important. It's a prerequisite. Save us. In their mind, they're saying, save us from the Romans. Save us from the government. And Jesus came to save them, but from something far worse than the Roman government. He came to save them from themselves. And they're saying, restore us, Lord. Restore our nation. Restore us to power and authority. And he is coming to restore them, but it's not for power and authority. He's coming to restore them to something way more important. He's coming to restore them to the Father. Salvation belongs to him. Save us from us. Restore us to the Father. Jesus wasn't the king that they expected. But in this moment, he's the king that they have always wanted. Someone to give them comfort and power. A king who will make them great and their lives easy. The same is true for us. We cry out, Hosanna, save us. Give us what we want. Microwave, give us exactly what we want right now. What's interesting is this, is it actually takes us laying down our comforts in order to follow Jesus. What does it profit a man that he gains the whole world but loses his soul? That's the interesting thing. It actually takes us laying down our dreams and our ideals to follow Jesus with our life. Remember what he said earlier in Mark, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is true kingship. So I don't know what you're thinking. I mean, I wish I could like do a group think, a group discussion. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what exactly it is that's going through your mind right now, but there is a chance, there's a good chance that the Holy Spirit has brought things to you today that you just don't trust God with. Things that you want and you want God to give to you and you think maybe that you deserve them. That's the typical MO for humans. We deserve the things that we want. It's only right that we have them. Are you single? Maybe your desire is for a spouse and you think like, I'm doing pretty good. I've lived a pretty good life. I think I deserve one. Maybe it's the waiting and longing for like deserving job and dreams and paycheck at the amount of money that you need. I, I, I don't know what it is, man. And then the flip of that coin is there are those that think that they deserve like treachery and despair and just live in this constant state of depression and anxiety. And what's interesting is, is that Jesus especially for that person, doesn't give them what they deserve. And he also doesn't give us what we think we deserve. He gives us what we need. He's the king. 
He's the only one in the room that can see past his nose. And what you need more than anything, what you need is to submit to him, surrender to him and say, you know what, not my will, but your will. It's a good prayer to pray, God, can I have this thing? Will you give this to me? That's okay to pray that, as long as there's a caveat attached. However, whatever you want, that's what I want. That's a good prayer to pray. Jesus prayed that prayer in the garden before he went to his death. He said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He doesn't give us what we think we deserve or on both ends, good and bad. He doesn't give that to us. Luckily, he gives us what we need, which is his presence, communion with him, strength to stand, relationship and eternal life, not just fleeting, passive, impulsive happiness. Save us is the right prayer. Save us from ourselves. Save us from ultimately from Satan and from sin and death. And how does it end? How does this moment end? I mean, you think like leaving Bethpage, he's on his way now to Jerusalem. Death is approaching him. He's making his way towards the cross. Surely people followed him and there's confetti and they all have their swords drawn or whatever and it's not that at all. Here's how it ends. He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple and when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. The end. The triumphal entry ends that way kind of the same way that Jesus came into the world, born in a manger. No fanfare, no sword drawn, just humble king. It's a quiet exit. Jesus has set his face like flint towards the cross. My question today is this. Maybe it's the question you need to ask yourself. What am I grabbing? What am I striving for? What am I trying to latch onto that's other than Jesus? Where am I saying to God, save me, but really I mean like give me what I want? Where am I expecting Jesus to be a kind of king that he never was meant to be? Where do my desires misalign with his desires for me? If you're a Christian in the room, your life is submitted to God. And that means you follow Jesus with your life. You lay your life down continually. And that is the prayer that you will continually have to ask over and over and over. That is the thing that you will continually have to confront. And it's this, Lord, my life is not my own. Here are the things I want. However, will you please, like, I want you to give me these things, but I want your will for my life. That's a continual prayer in life. And my invitation to you today is to submit to who Jesus actually is. And once again, lay down your will before him. 
Let him form you, let him disciple you, let your will come under his authority. What do you want, God? That's the prayer. That's the question. What do you want? And then submitting to him fully in that. You get an opportunity practically um, to do that now as we take the table. We do it every week. Don't take it for granted. Let's do it every week as a rhythm of our life because right now we're about to gather around this table um, and come to a place of remembrance and repentance. So I wanna invite you to do that today as we stand up together. If you're serving the elements, please come down.